When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I, Charles the Fourth, or is it the Third? Bloody bitch! We will supply the denazification of the Let me put it to you! Justin, yes, you If you win by one, you've won. The phone went over the side. It is time to destroy the I just think everyone should be sure. What the fuck is going on? Hello, I'm Mark Steele. Welcome to my podcast. Where each week I ask the question, what the fuck is going on? What the fuck is going on? This week, our own George Galloway has been campaigning vigorously in the Rochdale by-election, and we were lucky enough to record some of the many events that he spoke at. Here, George is in full flow at a debate in St. George's Church, Rochdale. Let me put it to you. Your rapacious parsimonious iniquities foreshadow an ignominious descent into the oblivion for which you have been destined since your subservient obsequiousness propelled you into the traitorous arms of the criminally virulent murderous imperialism of the execrable mendacity cloaked in full international respectability afforded by such tendentious sewer-dwelling nonentities as Mr. Biden and Mr. Starmer, I have no choice but to adhere to the historically inevitable action of pursuing a legalistic conclusion of hitherto unimagined proportions to your reprehensible response to my request for a cup of coffee and biscuit, after which you forgot to bring the biscuit. That! It's all I have to say to you, man in the kitchen at St. George's Church in Rochdale. And now, before the debate begins, can you please fetch me a custard cream? Conservative MPs are only telling the truth when they talk about Muslims. One of them, Paul Scully, said that there are no-go areas around London where ordinary Londoners dare not go, and that's true. You try wandering around the grounds of Windsor Castle and intimidating teams of heavies will come up and tell you to get out immediately. Some of these people are armed and there's no point in calling the police. Or try going for an innocent walk with your kids through the courtyards of a public school in Harrow or Winchester use their swimming pools or cricket pitches. Oh, you won't get far before uniformed thugs surround you and tell you to get out unless you give them thousands of pounds. But try saying that these days. No one's interested. The ex-deputy chair of the Conservatives, Lee Anderson, said that the mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, has handed London to his mates. And that's right. Who controls London now? Sadiq Khan's Muslim mates. Who owns Kensington Palace, eh? King Charles. Muslim. Who owns all those Riverside apartments? Russian oligarchs. Muslims. Who owns chains like Pret? Muslims with their halal bacon cheese turnovers. 
One of the Conservatives said that the Islamists are in charge of the country. That's right, Islamists everywhere. You walk through the centre of any city on a Friday night and ask any of the thousands of people getting drunk in the pubs and they'll tell you the country's run by strict Muslims these days. I'll tell you what it is, right? They'll say, I'll tell you what, it's fucking, what do you call it, around here. Oh, fuck me. Oh, how much of I Sure, fucking law. That's what it is around here. We say. You go through towns like Doncaster or Telford on a Saturday at midnight and look at the youth. Islam, Islam, Islam. That's what you see everywhere. Young women in burkas kneeling down to pray outside Burger King. Lads queuing up in kebab shops reading the Quran. Go to areas like Suffolk and it's mosque, 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 mosque. Farmers complaining. Well, we, we have to call for prayers every day, see? Alarat, all that. Frightens sheep. And the Conservatives who make these points are very careful about what they say. So they'll go, we really need to get over this idea that just because you despise all Muslims, that this means that you're in some way anti-Muslim. Being anti-Muslim doesn't make you anti-Muslim, which is why we need a grown-up debate about why it is that all Muslims are trying to blow us up. And then one of their MPs will make a speech that causes a huge row, and all his colleagues go on television to say, look, I mean, <laughs> I mean, look, Sir Terence does use colourful, fruity language. That might not be how I would put it myself, but the central point that he was making is we must seek a sensible immigration policy, and that's what he meant when he said it's like living under the fucking Taliban around my way. We need a fucking crusade like what they had in the 11th century and wipe the fucking lot of them out because it's time we understood that being racist doesn't make you racist. This week, Liz Truss has been in America to build support for a project to take over the world, outlining her exciting new policies that will make Britain great again. Now, we're lucky to have an exclusive preview of her forthcoming cookery programme, Make Meals for Eating with No Fuss with Truss. Today, we're going to concentrate on one of the stalwarts of any British diet, the boiled egg. Boring, I hear you cry, and you'd be absolutely right. Because for too long, the boiled egg has been stuck in that tired old straitjacket, the pan of boiling water. But thanks to my colleagues at the Institute of Excitement, we can rescue the boiled egg from these doldrums with this recipe for the future. First, take an ordinary egg and instead of water, boil it in a medium-sized pan of Semtex. Instead of the dreary three-minute wait, your meal will be cooked in seconds, leaving you more time to set up a trade deal with Fiji. Then instead of serving it in an egg cup, place the egg on a crocodile that you can get easily by releasing all the animals from London Zoo. Finally, break the shell with an anti-tank missile. I know there are those who will say we tried that before and it didn't work. But that's because we were held back by the anti-egg and soldier coalition. Minority groups such as vegans, paramedics, Nigella Lawson, farmers, chickens, women, Jesus, men and Charlotte Church were determined to hold back the egg. Forward. 
forward, I say. Unleash the power of the egg. What the fuck is going on? What the fuck, what the fuck is going on? Oh, well, this is a privilege. Every week I say on here that you need expert advice to find out what the fuck is going on. And then I introduce people who haven't got a fucking clue. And I have to act it. I'm an actor. I have to go, oh, what an expert. And I introduce someone who hasn't got a clue. They haven't even read the news. They don't even know that who Donald Trump is. But this week, Susie Boniface, a genuine expert <laughs> on so many subjects. No, I don't think so. I, I mean, I read all the news, but I still haven't got a fucking clue what's going on because who knows no, what's going on No, but you write in newspapers. Well, you write. You don't just write, write, write like columnists. You have to write what's, this is what's happened. I have to write real stuff sometimes, but it still it doesn't mean that I have a single idea where the hell it's going next or, you know, what they're up to, what they're playing at, or what's going through their heads. Well, that's all right. Don't you find, this is the ones that annoy me. There are ones, there was one bloke, I won't say his name, when I wrote, <laughs> when I wrote for the Independent, and I really liked the Independent, uh, and most of the people there I really liked, and I never met this bloke, but he wrote a column, and I I sometimes thought I'd like to do a parody of it. He would always predict what's going on with this great uh, sort of like journalistic language. The latest utterances from the Liberal Democrats show that they are very much in tune with the public over the issue of immigration or whatever, and his conclusion would be that the Liberal Democrats would soon rise in the polls and the following week they would go down to 2%. (laughs) And every single time, it is absolutely clear that there is no chance whatsoever in the by-election for such and such a candidate, and invariably that person would then win with 87% of the vote. That's that sort of standard for a columnist, I think. Just being able to say that I know something and go on about it for 750 words dead and then having absolutely no clue whatsoever. I mean, it's just like being in a pub with um, with, uh, with a particular bunch of idiots who, um, who think they know everything and absolutely don't. Except that these people will then dress that with, uh, as I, uh, in my conversations recently with uh, the uh, with the Home Secretary, blah blah, that all that sort of thing. A source tells me. A source tells me. Mm. Useless, um, <laughs> but not 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 the mirror. Yeah, well, it's it's a very compared to lots of other places in Fleet Street. It's a very collegiate place to work. People are quite friendly, uh, and sort of um, there's no. There's not too much backstabbing and stuff like that going on. There's not an awful lot of politics. It's just everyone's stuck in the same horrific machine. <laughs> it's just everybody gets on well and hacks phones and there's no fuss. Well, I've never hacked a phone, Mark, despite what have Prince Harry might think. How do you do it, do you think? Um, well, the Guardian put it on the front page. So I have hacked one phone. I've hacked one phone in my life. Ask the obvious question. Who? My ex-husband. Or my then husband, as it was, asked the next obvious question. How did you do it? Well, it had just been on the front page of the Guardian that um, the News of the World had been hacking phones by doing this with their pin codes and getting into the voicemail and stuff. And I thought, oh blimey, is that how you do it? And uh, my uh, then husband was uh, said that he wasn't shagging her, uh, and there's absolutely nothing going on. Uh, and um, I rang his voicemail and listened to his voicemail messages, and there she was. And we're divorced now. So um, wow. I didn't need to hack it again after that. Could he sue you for £700,000 like Prince Harry? He could, but um, he's been mentioned in various court cases to do phone hacking and paying of police officers since then, so I don't think he will. Wow. <laughs> well, that's a that's a, a story you don't always expect when you ask someone if they've ever hacked a phone. No. 
Did you ever write about it in, yeah, the, in the mirror? No, I didn't. It's in uh, it's in my book actually, the Diaries of a Fleet Street Fox, which is probably about ten years old now. Um, but that's it was in there. Yes, so I did read. I did read about it. it. It's an excellent. It's an excellent read and an excellent guide into hacking phones. <laughs> no, it isn't. Oh, but that must have been. Was that? Oh, I don't know. What? So when you heard that, then was that? really horrible or was it like how well, I've got you because you knew it anyway this came after I'd uh, seen some emails between them and after I found out that he'd formed some sort of strange new friendship with this uh, woman and gone round to her house and knocked on the door and then been arrested uh, and I had to sort of accept a police caution and been in jail for a bit so um, you were in jail for well, a bit well I was in the cells sort of overnight well, I calmed down because I basically it all went very East Enders, Mark. So I found out about the pair of them. I went round to her house, banged on the door. It all went a bit East Enders. I ended up getting arrested. She pressed charges, the bag. Um, and uh, then when we came out, he was saying, well, there's nothing going on. I want to get back together. And that's when I listened to his voicemail. Oh, that's a really sad thing. I think... It was hysterical. It was the funniest thing that's ever happened to me. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, I'm glad you find it funny. I was walking up and down. I was pacing in the cells at Belgravia Nick, and they'd given me, um, I mean, I'm a size six, and the only shoes that they had laces in, so they took my shoes away in case I hang myself, and the only shoes they had to give me were size 11 plimsolls, men's plimsolls. So I was pacing <laughs> the cell, and it's like I was walking in flippers like this. Swip, 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 swip. Oh, and yeah. I was just laughing at myself at the time going, this is fucking ridiculous. So this is a great start to a book and that is the start to my book um, the large lady that my uh, then husband uh, was carrying on with did press charges but the police uh, said uh, plainly this is she's not even drunk there's no point and I just accepted press charges because you went round uh, no because I broke her window <laughs> when I right. got there um, there was a bit of a ruckus uh, and a, 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 a fray if you like and um, but then she and my ex-husband now are married have children and right. uh, last time I saw her, she was fatter than she was uh, when she first got together with him, which was pretty fat. Um, so, you know, they are they are now chained together for life. So she's I, lost. She has to smash the window now just to get out the house. <laughs> she's, she's chained to him for life, which is, I think, probably the best punishment I could possibly wish upon her or him. So is that a happy ending? It is for me. I don't really care about them. Well, that's nice. What a lovely story. <laughs> it's like a little rom-com with Jennifer Aniston in it, playing yeah. you. Now, there is another story that you have pursued for many, many years. Even longer than, than criticising my ex-husband. <laughs> yes, uh, not quite as, as important historically as the, the deal with your ex-husband no, may no, be. No, he deserves to go but, down in history for what he is. Yes, but it is... Um, well, and I suppose it's always topical, but you know, given that the given that nuclear bombs have been uh, uh, the, uh, the or the sort of invention of the nuclear bomb may well be the subject of the Oscar-winning film this year, um, it's it's to do with that and the way that the soldiers are treated who was who were who witnessed the the tests in the fifties. Well, it's not just the soldiers, it's it's their families as well. So, I mean, anyone who served in the armed forces will say, well, look, it's, you know, the poor bloody infantry gets it in the neck, no matter what. Uh, you know, the, the the grunt, if you're 
uh, in the army. It's Matlow if you're a sailor. You're known as an Irk if you're aircraftsman in the army. It's just the lowest of the low that you get treated pretty rough. And um, if you later need the MOD to help you out with a war pension or something else, you're probably going to have to whistle for it because it's not. It's going to be reluctant to, to come out your way. Um, the MOD, I used to be a defence reporter years ago, and the MOD always treats uh, its former service people as a bit like spent ammunition, really. Like you're not of much use to us anymore. So what are you doing? Still annoying us. Um, and there's some work going on to try and improve that. But what happened in the well, 19- that's traditionally sorry, to but that, that traditionally is what yeah. is what's so you know, it's why the military and ex-military are very often the pe- the people that spark revolution. I mean, it's it's you know they've they've given the most. That you could possibly give, risking their lives for a for a country, and then they're just treated appallingly once they're you know, yeah. And uh, the last people you want to piss off are people who know how to kill you. There's people you don't want to piss off, which is like criminal warlords, police officers and journalists, because they're all going to come after you for a very long time and make your life very uncomfortable. But you really don't want to piss off uh, a former soldier because they, they they all just keep doing it. They'll just keep marching round and round in a circle until, until yeah, you're yeah, dead. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what happened in the 1950s was we Britain had a series of nuclear weapons tests uh, for about 12 major nuclear weapons and 600 or so radiation experiments in Australia and the Pacific and exposed about 22,000 people to whatever the consequences of that was, who were there, um, Army, Air Force and Navy, as well as indigenous populations, civilians, observers, members of the press who went to see it and stuff like that. Now, the MOD has always said, well, look, no one was exposed and anyone who was exposed, you know what, it's had no impact on their health. So why don't you all just piss off? And the men in question have always said, yes, but my wife has a lot of miscarriages and my children appear to have lots of birth defects uh, and um, I seem to have quite a lot of cancer. Would you mind fucking sorting it out, please? And MD goes, no, nope, there's nothing there. You must be uh, deluded, deranged, whatever. And so basically the Mirror since about the 1980s has been writing about these guys, uh, the nuclear test veterans as they're known, and because it's been visited on their families as well, which is what's really unique about their situation compared to other veterans of any sort. Um, And in all the time I've written about them, which is about 20 years, they've said to me they were guinea pigs and that they were used in radiation experiments. And I've always thought, well, I think you were probably used negligently. You know, they ordered them to sail through the fallout to test what happened to warships. They ordered them to fly through the mushroom clouds to take samples. They ordered them to walk and run through the fallout to see how much was on their uniforms. Um, I always thought so this, well, you were this, used was, in an experiment. Yes. So was this this was negligence, or this was like we are deliberately going to use them and as people it was to deliberate they were planned the all, those, on it. all those experiments were planned mm. but they, it was as part of the bigger overall experiment to get nuclear weapons which there was a strong geopolitical argument for i'm not saying one way or the other was good or bad um, but i always thought they were used in an experiment they were treated negligently treated badly since but that was kind of it they weren't guinea pigs of the experiment if you see what i mean and then uh, a couple of years ago it's basically something landed across landed in my lap which made me realize i was wrong and they had been used in they had been a human experiment conducted on our own servicemen using radiation and they'd never been told the results and what it was was a, a memo from 1958 uh, about a chap called squadron leader terry gledhill who was a decorated hero had the afc and he led squadrons of raf planes through the mushroom clouds of some of the biggest weapons thermonuclear ones in 1958 59, 58, sorry. And um, he 
this memo showed that he'd had a series of blood tests over about seven, eight months, and they showed gross irregularities. And one of the things, the impact of what he would have had wrong with him at the time, he would have felt really anemic, really fatigued, really uh, unable to sort of have much energy. He would have bruised easily, he was very prone to infection as a result of what was going wrong with his blood. And I managed to contact his family. He died in 2015. I contacted his family and they said, well, we never knew about this. And dad never knew about that. And in fact, he was very ill for years with bruising easily and feeling fatigued right up until his death. He's always looking for answers, never got them. Um, and what do we do with this now? And so we said, I said to his daughter, I said, right, what you do is you ask the MOD if they've got any blood tests for him and you wait to see if they refuse or not. So she put a request in. Uh, to the Ministry of Defence and to the Atomic Weapons Establishment, which ran these experiments at the time. And uh, the MOD said, yeah, we've got some blood tests for the squadron leader Gledhill, but we're not going to show them to you because it would breach his patient confidentiality. And she said, well, I'm his daughter and his executor. I have a legal right to see anything pertaining to my father's data as his executor. I'm effectively him in the law, so you show them to me. And they said, nope. And then it went to an uh, uh, information commissioner and went up to a minister who agreed that Jane shouldn't see it and so on and so forth. In the meantime, we published a big story saying this is crimes against servicemen. If you have a medical record from someone and you withhold it or you falsify it or you destroy it, that is a crime. And there's no two ways about it. And it's a, certainly a moral wrong, a civil wrong. It's a case for suing, if nothing else. And... Uh, so we, we called this a nuked blood scandal. And it just came, Jane's case, Terry's case, came to a head last week, the week before, when we had a hearing uh, in front of a judge about this freedom of information request. And the judge ruled in Jane's favour and has now told the MOD it's acting unlawfully and it has to provide the medical records that it's been asked for. Now, the problem with that is um, under freedom of information, you publish it to the whole world. So no one wants their dad's medical records published to the whole world. Terry's daughter in this case waived her right to sue over that because she wanted to see something specific. But other veterans, if they want to see um, a next of kin's record or their father deceased, deceased veterans record, they're going to have to accept that the whole thing gets published right. to the world. So there's a huge legal issue there, which we're going to try and get sorted out in Parliament, maybe with some changes to the law. But fundamentally... The MOD has been acting unlawfully and it's now got to stop and think about what it's doing about these guys. So will they just stall it and go, right, all right, then we've got to show you the records. They and they've not- been told by a judge. They right. can appeal it, but they've got to have the judge's permission to do so. And in the meantime, we now have a class action lawsuit, um, which is going to the High Court to demand that the MOD provide full disclosure of all the blood tests that it's got on record. And we've found orders for blood tests to be taken from the Army, from the Navy, and from the Air Force over a period of more than a decade on two different in two different places, right? In the Pacific and in Australia. There is no way and this is what uh, this is the astonishing thing to me. Okay, in 2018, the MOD said it had no information about blood tests. Said we haven't got any. Nope, that didn't happen. And then when we finally found a blood test, they went, "Oh, that blood test. Oh, yeah, we got that one." But then currently, the MOD's line is that the one blood test we found from Terry Gledhill is the only one they've got. 
out of 22,000 men from all three armed forces, a huge chunk of whom would have been subject to orders for blood tests, according to the orders that we found and uncovered from the archives. I am such an amazing, brilliant journalist that I found the only one in existence. So the question here that I would ask then is, as the uh, military has, over a period of 65 years, clearly lied uh, throughout that time and refused to reveal the information that it's got over all that time and refused, which we'll come on to in a moment, to uh, acknowledge the uh, the veterans in terms of giving them a medal, which I know you've been big part of your campaign. Why is it so important to them? What is so awful for them that would be revealed if they'd been honest, either at the start or at any point in proceedings, but or even now? Well, let's take a for instance, right? When you first went to the doctor with a bad throat, I suspect yeah. they ran some tests. I suspect they would have taken blood, they'd have asked you to spit in a jar, they'd have checked mm-hmm. your heart and your lungs mm-hmm. and listened to things and all the rest of it. And then you'd have gone back for more tests and more biopsies and more checks. And at every stage, someone would have told you what the last one showed and what the next one's going to look at to see and try and narrow it down. Yeah, yeah, yeah pretty right? much, yeah. And as you go through your treatment, you will have more checkups that show, well, we've looked at your blood, Mr. Steele, and it shows that you are now doing this rather than that. And so we're going to do X, Y, and Z instead. Now, can you imagine going to the doctor and having all that done and at the end of it, they say, well, go home. And you say, well, what, what did the test show? And you say, they say, well, nothing, go home. And you go home and you're still coughing and you've still got a problem. And then whatever, you know, maybe you develop some other problem later on. And you're never sure. You never know whether what happened to you at one point in time has caused what's happened to you later. You never know if it may have affected your children or your wife. And you never know the results of those tests. So what's the the, uh, incidence of cancer then amongst the veterans compared to people who weren't witness at near range to it. There's a higher rate of cancer in the veterans, according to the last study. It's slight. It's about 4%. But what really matters is that um, the, the, it's the rates of death from cancer. So cancer is quite high in the population at the moment. Uh, you know, one in, I think it's like one in four of us, one in two of us will get it, but one in four of us will die from it. And it's actually, in the veterans, it's one in two will die from it, right? They are more likely to die from cancer they get. They're more likely to get certain kinds of cancers. They've got higher rates of things like chronic myeloid leukemia, which are obviously radiogenic and affect your blood. Um, so they have a right. To, if, if they hadn't had all those tests, they never had those test results over years and their doctors never saw them, their diagnoses would have been different. Their treatment would have been different. Um, and they may not have died as quickly or as, as thoroughly, they may have been able to get saved a bit better. Um, and as far as the MOD is concerned, what those blood tests would show, if they exist, if they were taken, and if they exist, and if they've still got them, those blood tests would show, would finally answer the question of whether or not radiation went inside the veteran's body. And if it goes in and actually alters the composition of your blood, because some isotopes like plutonium are bone-seeking, they go to your bone marrow, and that changes how your blood is produced, um, that would show whether the radiation had an impact on your health now as part this is on my part going to be the most pathetic attempt to support 
a campaign. I mean, even if you know, I can't claim to be doing anything much, whatever I did, but it's going to be a really pathetic attempt. What is it you're asking people to do? Well, to support we've had, this? We've, we're raising funds for the veterans generally. One of the, the big problems that our, and that our court case hangs on is the mental pressure all this has put them under. So whether their blood was irradiated or not, it's the fact you haven't told them what's in their records or their medical records have been had bits removed that puts right. them under a great amount of psychological stress. And so we're trying to raise money really to alleviate that stress and to raise awareness of veterans' mental health needs generally for all veterans, not just nuclear veterans, by something called the Jaffa Cake Challenge. And right. I came across this because I like Jaffa Cakes and I... It does seem, well, just, 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 just to stop you there for a moment, it does, what I love about it is that it's hard to think of two things that are more opposite in terms <laughs> of like nuclear <laughs> weapons, Jaffa Cakes. Well, who knows where Jaffa Cakes came from? I'm not sure. Mabitis haven't told me. But may- maybe there is something thermonuclear <sighs> Maybe they would. Maybe marmalade. Oppenheimer, maybe he invented a nuclear bomb in about a quarter of an hour and then spent the next four years assembling all the top scientists in New Mexico from around the world to invent the perfect squishy, orangey-tasting, mucky, biscuity cake thing. It's a cake, not a biscuit. There was a big court case about that. I know. That's the other thing. If you if you buy if you eat Jaffa cakes, you're kind of diddling the uh, the treasury out of some VAT. So, <laughs> so it's always always a good oh, thing to do. Not, that's like a bloke in a or two. What, what, listen, no, fuck, listen, right? You have a Jaffa cake, right? She's fucking no. I'll tell you what. That's real. So never mind Shay Guevara. What he did, whatever it was. You have a Jaffa cake, right? You're fucking nicking an eighth of a penny out of VAT because it's a fucking cake, not a biscuit. Yeah, I'm That's telling you. Proper ya. insurgency against the government. That is. Look, George Osborne took Jaffa cakes to court and said, "No, no, it's a biscuit." And Jaffa cakes won. So it's a, it's one in the eye for George Osborne every time you eat one. But yeah, so we've got you, this- he needs one in the eye. He's bloody got that. <laughs> look, look at me now. I'm all sort of man about town in my special little suit, and I'm sort of modelling. I don't know where George Osborne socks, and I'm on a podcast and all. Fucking George Osborne. Isn't he? He's doing all that now. Yeah, he's like know, he's still got one, one of the best descriptions of him when he was chancellor that I heard someone say was that he had the face of a French aristocrat on his way to the tumbrel, and I thought <laughs> in the tumbrel on the way to a guillotine rather. And I thought yes, that's exactly his face. That's that's who and what he is. But so the, the Jaffa cake challenge apparently uh, the world record for eating Jaffa cakes is seventeen in sixty seconds, and so we yes, sort you of, told me that, and I don't believe no, it. No, I don't believe it either because I tried to do it, and I'm a world but expert. I saw your effort, and, that, and I was I amazed at that because they went down. That to me is amazing. We asked people to sort of eat as many Jaffa cakes as they can in sixty seconds, upload it to social media, include the link to our page, and make a donation, and sort of challenge other people, pass it on. Okay, so we will put we'll put the link on that on the podcast. I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you put a link on a podcast. I don't know how a podcast works. I don't they can know how put a it in the show works. notes or something, can't they? I don't know how buttons work, but but it will uh, be on there. Now I have two problems. First is that I shamefully neglected to get a jaffa cake, so I've got a digestive biscuit. It really won't affect the outcome for <laughs> the other reason, which is that one of the ways in which radiotherapy works when you have cancer in the neck is it uh, my one i don't know if this is the same for anyone but it goes for everything right so my radiotherapy very much it didn't just target the tumor it went for everything it was very much the israeli army of the cancer treatment world it's just destroyed fucking 
everything in the vicinity of my uh, tumor. Well, this is the it's- problem. You've plainly had an entirely different kind of radiation to the, se- the kind of radiation that comes out of a nuclear weapon because that just passes right through people painlessly and it's never caused any problem at all. Just ask the Ministry of Defence. Maybe they're the ones who should uh, who should do your radiotherapy for you. Yes, yeah, they should have done, yeah. Well, it would have been a lot quicker, wouldn't it? Rather <laughs> than Rather than though. going every day for six weeks for radiotherapy, it could have just been half an hour. They just set a nuclear bomb off and get me to fly through it. Done. Yes. But no, because the NHS won't spend the money. No, they, uh, they, they've been amazing. They really have. So, uh, But right, I'm not looking forward to this. It's a digestive. If I get through a quarter of this, I'll be amazed. I'm just, I'm just astonished, really. I'll set my timer so you're ready to go for a minute. But a minute? I, I mean, yeah, it's good. you have 60 seconds. Is there seconds. another one where you can set the timer for 11 hours <laughs> and then I'll see if I can do seven? We'll, we'll go, you for a, go you for 60 seconds. All right, I do think digestive is the worst one to choose. But here we go. Ready, set, go. Oh, come on. There's a tiny little nibble. He's not even trying. He's pulling a face like the Queen Mother's just oh, been God, stung by so a bee. horrible. So, <laughs> oh, my God. You're not supposed to be able to drink, by the way, in this challenge, listeners. If you want to do it on your own, do it genuinely with a natural Jaffa cake. You're not supposed to wash it down with any liquid on the way. That's cheating. But I think oh, we'll, God, that's so horrible. we'll let Mark have a free pass because uh, it is. If I don't have water, have what happens is that anything that's in my mouth just, just completely solidifies. It's like. Trying to make a pot on a potter's wheel, right, but so with no water. 34 seconds. How much that digestive's well, gone? I'm done. <laughs> I've got through, what do you reckon? Uh, that's not even, that. you haven't even, I mean, there's a mouse somewhere that is spitting tax. 3%? Have I got through 3% of the digestive? Yeah. One, two percent, maybe. Well, dear listener, if you want to see if you can beat Mark's rather feeble efforts, and seeing as he's got throat cancer, you've got absolutely no excuse for not trying it, um, then you need to get yourself a pack of Jaffa cakes. There's 10 in a pack, all right? So if mm. you're feeling ambitious, you might need to get two packs in. But then film yourself uh, trying to eat as many as possible in 60 seconds. Oh, you have to clear each Jaffa cake before you have the next one, and you're not allowed to use liquids. That's the two rules. Upload it to social media, tweet me into it, whatever, Fleet Street Fox, and uh, and make a donation to our page, the link for which is in the notes. Because I've just sent it to Mark's producer while I've he's holding by his head some distance, sort of spitting. Uh, <laughs> by some distance, the worst effort, and yet I'm, I think I've suffered. I've I suffered. I think people ought to campaign for me for 20 years yeah. now. Thank you so much, Susan Bonifest, for telling us what the fuck is going on. Really, genuine expert. Thank you. When everybody honest, wise, or decent had all gone, there was nothing left to ask but what the fuck is going on. If you would like to hear more of that interview with Susie Boniface, why not join us on Patreon, where there is an extended version available. It's uh, it's quite extended. It's not like a month or something. But, and there won't be a test. It is thanks, of course, to our wonderful, virtuous, radiant, angelic, uh, magnificent, uh, perfect Patreon supporters that we can continue our quest to find out what the fuck is going on. Just follow the link on our Twitter page or search for Patreon What The F. Patreon What The F. And for as little as £2 a month, you will get early access to ad-free versions. Ad-free versions of the regular episodes. Or to really know in an advanced fashion what is going on, for just £4 a month, you will get a longer ad-free 
version of the episode with extended versions of the guest interviews with Extra Elliot, and you'll get bonus sketches. All of our Patreon supporters get the episodes on Friday nights. Unlike everybody else who has to wait until Saturday mornings, just meditating in Buddhist monks to try and just get their mind into a place where they can just accept, accept, accept. You can't get it until Saturday morning. And I, I feel for those people, I really do. So search Patreon What the F to join the WTF community. And now we are delighted to be able to present an extract from the post-Brexit diaries of Britain's most patriotic man, Nigel Boulevard. This week, I was very proud to attend the funeral of an old friend and colleague from my days in the UK Independence Party, Edward Plantagenet, who sadly died aged 106. And as we bathed farewell to Eddie, I thought how proud I was that now we have left the European Union, we can hold proper British funerals. Because, of course, when we were governed by the EU, we'd have had to place Edward on a boat and set fire to it to comply with the Viking Funeral Directive. Then, under the Schengen Rules for Freedom of Movement, we'd have had to scatter his remains equally across the 27 member states of the EU. And, because some bits of Edward may have fallen off the boat and been eaten by fish, which may have swum back into British waters, under Brussels fishing regulations, we would then have been liable to pay a hefty import tax. But there are still many battles to be fought. For example, we know that people over 85 are more likely to vote for the Reform Party than people under 85. And yet, every year, we see it's the over 85s who are more likely to die than any other age group. Coincidence? I somehow doubt it. But when I wrote to the BBC demanding an explanation, not surprisingly, I received no reply. But at least we could send Eddie off in the way he'd have wanted, with a traditional British funeral in which we ate cheese and pickle sandwiches and no one from Strasbourg was forcing us to dance naked around a bratwurst. Mine's a pint of old tapeworm. Cheers! What the fuck is going on? Podcastees of the WTF community, it has come to the point of the week when everybody in the galaxy stops to wait for the announcements to see which asteroids are going to be dangerous to try and avoid that particular belt of, of meteorites, if you can, that sort of thing. And uh, and indeed, because it's the announcements and we, we need announcements in the world, we can't cope without them in every bus station, airport, anywhere where there's travel, anything. And now it doesn't matter that you can't understand them. We need to know that there are announcements. It means that things are happening, things are being cancelled. And that's what uh, that's what allows us to, to carry on in the belief that something is being looked at. Someone is looking after us. And the same here. Nothing's really uh, uh, happening at, at the moment. I've got nothing to announce, but you need announcements. And so, will not be clinking at West Nile from the platform. Move to the third range of the region will be the peak fare only. If you've not a valid ticket, please leave this podcast now. 
Also, uh, people have been getting in touch with us on our Patreon account, as well as on Twitter, to ask what the fuck is going on with certain things. Now, the first thing is that Matt Sellers is a top-tier supporter. And uh, like someone in the Soviet Union in 1971, bestowing praise upon the person who has done the, the greatest amount of work in the factories for the for the uh, the, the people's tractors matt sellers let me uh, let me announce your name to the world as a top tier supporter and uh, you're very very welcome matt uh, oh yeah here's a thing patreon are doing free trials here's a proper announcement patreon are doing free trial seven day free trial so you can so, so if you've been thinking i would sign up for patreon but it's you know, it's all money in it now there's a seven day free trial you can sign up i know we all know what the point of that is it's to get you to sign up to it and then forget to cancel it and then think oh fucking six months on i've been paying so but you know there you are if you're one of them diligent people who can remember uh, uh six days and 23 and a half hours to cancel the thing otherwise you'll be ending otherwise you will end up like me and find one day when you're looking through your bank statements why well, i've been paying once a month for the last four and a half years for to a, a yachting club that i must have signed up to i thought well i might as well because it's free for a month and uh, why am i doing that why am i in the astronomical society for four pound only four pounds because i signed up to uh, a free trial and it and you know, because i don't know there was words that rhyme with neptune i thought well it's free and now i've been paying for it ever since don't do that, but there is a seven-day free trial. Now, questions. Mark Hush of Patreon says, given that Nick Ferrari cut off a minister for not answering his question after nine attempts, why does Mike Concrete give in so easily? Well, Mike, because I think I think Nick's, uh, uh, Nick really wants to get to the truth. So does Mike. But I think Mike, as we know, he's a master of gently teasing out opinions. And that's what he's, that's what he's there to do. And I, I think it's not that he gives in so easily. I think that he just wants to be kind. Uh, and Robert Reed of Patreons says, I'm, uh, uh, when Brexit happened, says Robert, I knew it would be a total disaster, but I thought one positive would be that Nigel Farage, Reese Mogg and co. would be happy and retire. Well, that's not the way these things work, is it, Robert? I, I do so admire your optimistic outlook. But when people get their own way then they want to carry on getting their own way and of course they have to be the victim all the time it's on me that's the real victim it's that all the time like Putin isn't it I'm the victim here you know never mind buddy. look at me I've had to you know poor Russia we're only tiny we're only a tiny little country and people are always bloody trying to push us around and invading us and uh, and that so everyone always wants wants to be like that having said that though I think there's a much kinder side to those people uh, to, to those people uh, and indeed if you listen to nigel boulevard britain's most patriotic man who very often comes on this podcast and we're very pleased to, to have him then i think you can see that there's a very positive outlook from from nigel and long may it continue and we and uh, i'm i'm very glad that people that some people at least can see the positives and share that uh, with all of us Right, you know the drill. 
It is possible to find out what the fuck is going on without the use of people and indeed the help and assistance of people who are very young and uh, probably about 27 years and seven months uh, uh, old at the moment. Luckily, I bred somebody especially for that in 1996. Elliot Steele. Hello. Uh, are you up? Yeah, I've been up. What the, what the fuck does that mean? Yeah, I'm up. Well, it's a sarcastic sort of thing that people say. It's like, yeah, things I'm, uh, yeah, it's ten past twelve, and I'm up. I've been up. I've been up since like half nine. Oh, okay, okay. I just start the first few hours of my day of staring at TikTok for three hours. <laughs> okay. Now, here's a story that you've been following, and I haven't. So, what's this mm. all about? Uh, the Willy Wonka experience. Yeah. Yeah, so this person in Glasgow mm. set up a Willy Wonka experience. Like, look, it, it's been all over the news. If you have not seen this, it is the funniest thing that has ever happened. I have ever. seen it a little bit. They've set up this thirty-five pound Willy uh, Willy Wonka experience. So thirty-five like pounds, thirty-five quid, thirty-five quid, and they've used AI, like AI, to create this art image and all of this mm. stuff about this magical world that you're going to be able to go to. It looks incredible because it's AI art. And people have got to this warehouse and it's a bouncy castle <laughs> um, in like the bleakest bouncy, ca- like a big pink bouncy castle in just a grey room with loads of tables out. Um, a picture of, of, of Amazon that costs £6.47 to get delivered of a sort of lollipop kingdom just right. put on the wall. Right. And then a, just sort of a shitty rainbow and a couple of like gumdrop gumdrop chairs and then each child got uh, a couple of uh, jelly beans and not uh, even a, a chocolate coin of, no and a little bit of lemonade people called the police <laughs> <laughs> and then the best bit is you've got to see this video out of nowhere the, the person he's a comedian actually he's like having to be Willy Wonka he's been hired for it he He's like, oh, look, it's the unknown. And this monster pops up from behind a mirror and just a kid starts screaming. It's like something out of The Simpsons. And it's oh, so brilliant. good. But it's it's so good that I think the person should be allowed to keep the money. Yeah, they should be allowed to keep the money. I don't, I don't think they should offer a refund at all. I think they've actually, they've brought more joy to the world <laughs> than if the people... But if, if it had been, been good, Johnny Depp in there and... Yeah, that, this has actually right. brought so much joy that they should be allowed to keep the money. This experience must be so bad because kids, the sort of age of kids that go to this thing, are so easily pleased, so easily pleased. But have I've, you seen the monster they had come out from behind the mirror? No. <laughs> they had, there's, right. So, you know, in Willy Wonka, there's no famous character called the Unknown. There's no... no there's no there's no character they've just stuck a bloke in like a black cape put this terrifying mask on and this wig and had him dance from come out like just look all scary and creepy from behind a mirror and kids are screaming no, you've, you've added you've written in a character that, that is terrifying children there's no need to terrify children with and you've got none of the things that are in Willy Wonka and one thing that isn't in no, Willy Wonka they had two Wimpa Loompas which were just women in green wigs looking Right. really depressed it's so it would be so so i remember i think you were about four and i took you to wembley because barney the purple dinosaur was doing a concert right and i think i didn't tell you what it was i said it's going to be a surprise and yeah. the, the lights went down the curtains come 
were parted and Barney come on and you and about 300 kids of your age went nuts and ran down the front. It was very funny. You all ran down the front as if you were like into the mosh pit. And and there were bouncers. There was actually a couple of bouncers, security people, because they must have known this what normally happens. Security people at the stage to stop kids crawling under the stage, which there was sort of access to getting under the stage. And I don't know what would have happened then. You'd have been underneath Barney. And uh and it was so rubbish. And the Barney the Purple Dinosaur, which I think is one of the almost awful characters in fiction ever. Right. And that's a bold statement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is the most awful character in fiction one ever. One of them. One of them. One of them. Yeah. Right. It awful was in like what he does or just he just isn't a good? Both. Right. And I, I, the one that got me was the Barney the Purple Dinosaur uh, was on a treasure hunt and he got all his all the other all his little mates around we're going to go on a treasure hunt and we're going to get all this treasure and they follow all the clues and then they get this trunk and they open it up and a rainbow comes out of it and they're all a bit disappointed because they're hoping for treasure and Barney Cause, says because Grandbody says the greatest treasure is being gay he doesn't say that he says because you know, Barney was probably funded by the evangelical Christian right in America <laughs> but Barney says <laughs> Barney says, oh, but this is the treasure, the the best treasure of all, because this is treasure that I can share with all of my friends. And I remember saying out loud, well, oh, so if it had been a big load of gold (laughs) sovereigns, you would have fucking kept it all, would you? And not bloody shared it. Oh, I can't share this with all my friends. I'm keeping this. For myself, no, because Barney I'm not has giving to kill the other kids so he can keep. <laughs> yeah, so there's no witnesses. Barney, Barney murders all the children so he can keep the girl. It's like it's like the, it's like the lift scene in The Departed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is treasure I can keep for myself, yeah. and not you, fucking greedy purple ass. I was so I, oh, and it's so cutesy and absolutely definitely. In fact. I wouldn't be surprised if it was the main reason why we got Trump. Well, Willy Wonka, on the other hand, I think I think that's a more nuanced sort of you because know, he's not he's not he's a baddie, isn't he? And it's it's all a bit Willy Wonka. Willy Wonka's not a baddie. No, no, no. But the no, but the the story of the story of Willy Wonka is not is not all about one kind. It's not all a, it's load a of lot loveliness. Of kids is it? die in Willy Wonka, by the way. Yeah, 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 yeah. But four kids die. Mm. It's yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. It's cruel, isn't it? There's cruelty yeah. in it. It's like a blues song. It's sort of uh, mm. there's you know there's evil and then a bit of goodness at the end. Yeah. Um, Which Charlie Bucket gets to keep a chocolate factory. Yeah, and uh, you know maybe it's a lesson. You pay thirty five quid because you want a little bit of that action. Maybe you should think about where you spend your thirty five quid next time. Thirty-five quid's a lot of money. Like That's if you're a family terrible. <laughs> if it was five quid, it would be fun. He's actually there's a rule of comedy it's there. Forty quid for a family to go. If you take if you take yeah. two kids yeah. and your partner, you spend a hundred and forty pounds. Do you know what? When you put it like that, it's, it's not terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. They could have spent that money watching a watching a second division football team draw nil nil against Port Vale in the cup. 
it's really it's really bad <laughs> it's really really bad and he's if it was five quid it would be funny if it was no i think i think the more expensive it is the funnier it becomes <laughs> like i hope i hope there's a dad who's really slaved away taking up double shifts he's like he's like he's he's, he's gone into his overdraft to pay for this and he's like i don't know i don't know how we're gonna financially do one but i just want to see the smile on my kid's face oh, i know no. it'll be worth it and then he's got there and he's having a, he's having to shield his kids from this character called the unknown bursting out from a minute <laughs> No, well, that's where we're different. I think, I think five quid or maybe even three quid would be funny. Yeah, yeah or, but that's not Or, or 800 quid would also be funny. No, 35 quid's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> there's no, look, I, I, know, I know what you're going. It's really funny that this has affected, like, normal average people. It's just, it's the audacity of it all is horrendous. <laughs> Don't you have no to have a license to something? Can anybody do this? Can anyone sort of set up, like, the Enid oh, yeah, they're, they're, Brighton the experience? spelling mistakes everywhere. Right. What, right, Willy Wanker? They, they oh, we got there and it said Willy Wanker and my child started coming. I'm a big fan of this person. I, I'm a big I'm a big fan of anyone who's <laughs> just, how did you think you were going to get away with any of this? How, how did, I love the idea. You were, I, I've worked at gigs before and stuff like done shows where you're like building up to it. You're like, this is going to be a fucking disaster. You go, this is going to be, how, we're going to be fucked. And I love the idea of like the actors just sat around going, the people have been hired to play Willy Wonka and Oompa Loompas going, well, this is, this is fucking meant, like, how are we going to get away with this? <laughs> and then they're just there like, I know it's shit as well. Well, it's a, it's a, an object lesson in how to build an experience for children. Mm. Is he going to be sued? Is he going to be a or what? No, I he think can't. I've had to refund everything. I think that. I think. I don't know. It's the funniest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> right, hands down, it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. It's so British. <laughs> it's so British. Thank you very much, Elliot Steele, for the tourist tourist tips for the day. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you've liked it, rate it, and if you can be bothered write a review if you can't be bothered summons up all the people you know who are capable of writing and take them into the desert like Oppenheimer did and spend years ensuring that you write the perfect review if there is anything at all that you think I should be finding out what the fuck is going on with it please send me a message on Twitter at WTF is going on pod at WTF is going on pod and we will look at every message that you send if you would like to become a WTF supporter for as little as £2 a month and get early access to ad free ad free extended versions please visit our Patreon page what the fuck is going on? It was hosted by me, Mark Steele, with my guests, Susan Ponyface and Elliot Steele. Voices by Sarah Alexander. It was written by Mark Steele and Pete Sinclair. The music was by Willie Dowling. It was produced by Mike Benwell at Carousel Studios. What the fuck is going on? It was brought to you by WTF Productions. 